from Relay FM. This is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode nine for January 25th, 2022. I'm Jason Snell, joined as always by Julia Alexander, Senior Strategy Analyst at Parrot Analytics. Hi, Julia. Hey, Jason. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, we were just talking before we got started about um, about this weekend where there was a lot of football here, American so football here in the U.S., so a, lot, a lot of football. <laughs> One of the interesting things about the rejiggered football playoff TV rights is that the networks uh, and their corporate parents had streaming written into their new uh, rights agreements. And so there were games on broadcast, obviously, but they were also on streaming services where available. So NBC's games were also on Peacock. CBS's games were also on Paramount+. Plus. And I thought this was really interesting because uh, you tweeted about this that, um, I mean, I think we've talked about it here. Uh, the truth is that technically live streaming a live event is just not the same as having a Netflix content library because all demand is in the moment and you need to be able to fulfill everybody's de- peak demand at that moment coming from a live source that you can't cache in various places on the internet because it's happening right now. And your experience I thought was really illustrative about this because one of these services did it better than the other one, didn't they? Yeah, it was funny to see it kind of play out uh, on Twitter as fast as it did, where the earlier game was available on NBC, so therefore it was available on Peacock, and the later game was CBS and was therefore available on Paramount+. And the Peacock game went off pretty much without a hitch. There were some, you know, buffering issues that kind of come sometimes when a lot of people are streaming one thing at once um, and server overload happens. Um, But for the most part, it was a pretty painless experience. But on Paramount Plus, it was nearly impossible to get the this game going. It was the Bills Chiefs game, huge, huge game, brought in like 43 million viewers live on the network, according to reports I saw today. Massive game. And if you were hoping to watch it via Paramount Plus, as it was advertised to you as part of what you'd get with your monthly or annual subscription, you could not do it. And so, so many people on Twitter and so many people anecdotally in my own circle and something I experienced as well was just this moment of like, why do I have this? And if yeah. you, if you have that moment, it makes you never, ever want to use the app again for anything else. Yeah, it makes you you lose trust in it. And and it is of a different class, right? Like there's I, I can press this play button and get a show, but that's not the same as I can count on it in the moment when a big live event is going on. Exactly. And, and I think I, I put it on Twitter too. server overload happens. It happens to Disney at three in the morning when they have a big Marvel show and the, and the, and the episode launches happens to um you know basically everyone sure. we are well aware of when websites go down like it's that's fine except that if i'm a company who is putting all my emphasis on launching the streaming service that is clearly very important to my future as uh, a player in in the quote unquote streaming wars um my focus would be on ensuring that the servers could handle the mass amount of people, again, as we saw via ratings, that are interested in watching football, especially cord cutters, and especially those who you have specifically targeted by saying, we're going to carry this game. You can just pay eight bucks or however much it might be, six, seven, eight bucks right. a month, and you're going to be able to get access to that. 
Instead, what you're getting is a lot of disgruntled people who don't necessarily want Paramount Plus for the content, are coming for specifically for football, and now are left with a really sour taste in their mouth about the experience. Versus on Peacock, you have people who come for the football experience, they may stay around afterwards and watch, you know, some uh, NBC programming or something else that's happening, and maybe a movie. Um, and so that experience overall contributes to how many customers not only are you acquiring, but how many are you keeping after that initial event? Right. Can you count on this? And and if I can count on it for sports, then I'll also use it for other things because now I'm paying for the subscription. And it, it makes sense. Um, you know, technically it is very different. And so I wonder what this says about the priorities here. It's not that Paramount Plus doesn't have sports because they've invested in some soccer coverage. Um, and they do have some live streams because they do live streams of your local CBS affiliate and they'll do live streams of the CBS News uh, channel that they've got that's a 24-7 streaming news channel. But I wonder if the difference is that Peacock was built around the Olympics and, and the la- launching. Originally, it was going to be launching during the 2020 Olympics, which didn't happen and all of that complicated. Right. But NBC, I think, built a sports product from the start. Peacock was never conceived as being kind of just a streaming entertainment uh, cached on a CDN kind of uh, kind of thing, content delivery network, where you cash it at a bunch of servers in a bunch of places so that you can meet demand, and you can't do that with live as easily. But you've got to you got to feed it all through instead of caching it. Um, but Peacock was built for the Olympics, right? So on one level, I I think I'm not surprised that Peacock held up better than Paramount Plus because I think they've they they were anticipating more demand for live content than maybe Paramount Plus was when it was built. Exactly. And so I think to everything about Peacock and what they're going to experience going into the new Olympics and learning what they have from football and what they have from the past, like I think they're on a pretty good position in the same way that HBO Max learned from a year of having poor tech capabilities and they're trying to overhaul it. Right. I'm in the same way that Netflix that runs so many tests, like technology, the distribution aspect is such a huge part of this conversation. And I think what we get with Paramount Plus and Peacock earlier, earlier uh, in a few months ago, as is a great example, is you have these content companies who never, we talked about this on the podcast before, who rarely ever had to worry about the distribution aspect because they were working with their partners, yeah. um, especially in telco, who could go, who would carry it for them. Um, and they just had to supply it, make sure that everything was good on there. And now not only are they the suppliers, but they're the distributors and they have to really make sure that that experience is, a seam- is seamless. And I think the football season is such a huge moment for these streaming services, for these networks that have football and are finally going, we're going to bring this to streaming as well as as having it live on the network. Um, And if you can't nail it here, it's really hard to convince people next season that they're going to nail it then. And and they might, you know, and people, I think of myself who are just wanting to watch a game and don't necessarily want to go to a bar right now to watch that game. Like I will try Paramount Plus again. Like it's it's a thing I'm going to do. Um, But it definitely is a situation where this is your moment to shine. And instead of shining, it's a really um, poor display. But but it's a learning experience. And I think if they take it as a learning experience and, and put some more funding and some more attention onto their the tech issues that they're encountering as as much as they are content, um, then, you know, they might be able to come out of that. It's funny because this is related to another conversation that's been going on this last couple of weeks about Netflix. And we're going to get into Netflix and its results and all that in a second. But there's this side conversation, which is, is Netflix a tech company or a media company? And I know you asked this question on Twitter, and I think it's a good question because there's arguments that Netflix is valued as a, as a, a tech giant when, in fact, a lot of its business essentials are 
uh, not tech, but more like a traditional entertainment company in a lot of ways. But, you know, this point brings up the fact that they are both in a way that they 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 have to be both in a way they didn't have to before. Like Disney bought BAM Tech from Major League Baseball, which is what powers all of the ESPN live streams and a lot of other live streams uh, and, and and cash content, too. But there's a lot. They are like experts in streaming uh, live events and being able to stay up under the pressure. And you think about Disney and you're like, well, they're a traditional entertainment company. So, well, yeah, but you also have to be good at the tech. You have to be good at app development because you need your apps on all these platforms. You got to be good at the streaming tech side. And like Netflix, because it was sort of coming out of the the tech industry, uh, Netflix almost had to learn the entertainment part of its business uh, and build it on top of its tech. But all of these other entertainment companies are having to do the reverse. And, and I know we talked about this multiple times here and i've talked about it on other podcasts too like the truth is that a lot of these companies you can see them struggling you you wrote about um hbo max uh and one of the things that they've struggled with is sort of like fixing their apps and replacing the back end as they go like the tech part of this is hard and a lot of the executives in charge weren't really thinking about the tech part they were making lots of bold decisions about being an entertainment company and letting the tech stuff kind of just happen and guess what the tech stuff doesn't just happen it's part of your business and in fact if it falls over it doesn't matter how much you spend on content you just wasted your money because nobody can see it exactly if your if your platform is a discovery tool which is what it is it is you saying here's all the content that we are very proud of making and that we want people to come see if your discovery platform does not allow for people to actually navigate and discover then it fails in doing what it is designed to do um and i think that is something that we are kind of continuously seeing but what i will say about warner media and the team over there is that they listened pretty carefully and mm-hmm. and worked on a direct overhaul which was a number of their apps on various aggregators that would be like your roku and your your google um tv service or your apple tv whatever it might be they overhauled that they over they're working on the back end to like fix problems that keep appearing and it's not perfect i mean we talked about this a lot on the podcast um jason and i but there's a there's a reason that Netflix runs so many tests and spends so much time yeah. addressing the technology because they have so much content that and they're aware that in order for that content to really be discovered and therefore devoured, which increases consumption, it increases the value of their overall offering. They really need the tech to perform. And I think we're going to get there with the entertainment companies. And this will actually we can go right into Netflix stock from here. But I think yeah. there's a reason that we think of Netflix or and we by we I mean the market we think of Netflix as a tech company that does content as opposed to companies like Disney or Warner Media or Viacom CBS that are content companies or entertainment companies or media companies however you want to refer to them that are now doing tech um, and so it's a really interesting position where everyone is sort of tech and everyone is sort of entertainment but distinguishing where there is. Um, authority and distinguishing where there is investment in is the clear definer in like who is understanding why people are using platforms as opposed to television uh, sets or, or excuse me not television sets but or, or like um, cable and and network broadcast networks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really interesting conversation to kind of think of where they are in those buckets and how they're trying to get into new buckets. And they're gonna get there, I think. I mean, not everybody is going to be successful, but I think that 
what you're what you'll see and you're already seeing i think hbo max is a great example of this is you're seeing the people in charge realize that they have a weakness that they had not anticipated which is that their tech game has to be strong and they have to focus on it or it doesn't matter what they do with the rest of their business and i think that that different organizations handled it differently like uh disney bought Bamtech, so disney got the brains of the tech operation by doing that netflix built it themselves sort of i would say even in advance of their content system um we can see apple which has some experience in this area but apple is is talking to people about doing sports so obviously apple is worried uh, is working on um on sports stuff but you know nbc and 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 cbs <laughs> peacock and paramount plus like it's hard not to envision that, you know, they'll learn, right? Where they'll be like, oh, we failed at this. We need to get better at it, just like HBO Max and Warner Media has done. So I- I'm pretty sure they'll all get there, but it is fascinating to watch it from the outside and say, oh, I see. You're an inten- you're an entertainment executive and you didn't you just assume the tech guys would do their thing and it would be fine and it's not fine or you're not giving them enough money for them to do their thing, which I think it's probably the truth of it in a lot of cases is is they, they are undervaluing their tech stack and, and not realizing that if their tech stack fails, their company fails. So we'll see. Um, we, we are talking about Netflix, right? That is. A big thing. Their results came out, um, and 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 it called a lot of questions about what is Netflix? Is it a tech company? Is it an entertainment company? Um, can you give me like an overview of of what the Netflix results showed, though, just so that we know what we're talking about here? Yeah. So <laughs> this is maybe a perfect example of the market overreacting. But before we get into that, um, effectively, Netflix came out. Uh, by the time we're recording this, they came out last week um, and said. Uh, we have just fallen a little bit short of our goals. We added 8.3 million subscribers as a point to, as opposed to 8.5, um, but, you know, kind of beat estimates on the revenue side. And so all that was pretty good. Like that was like, okay, well, you know, we're still experiencing a bit of um, pull down effect from COVID, which means they added so much in 2020 that they are going to probably add less in 2021 and 2022 as if compared to if there was no COVID and those um, averages would, would equal, uh, equal out a little bit. Um, so that's one side of it. Q4 was pretty good for Netflix. The biggest concern, the reason that we saw the company lose about like $140 billion in market cap over about two days, you know, in terms of market, um, in terms of when they look at those days, uh, is because their, their forecast guidance for Q1 going into 2022 was not great. They're basically saying like the back half of our Q1 is where the majority of our high, um, uh, high established content is, and we're not looking to add, you know, close to six, seven million subscribers. We're probably going to add about two to 2.5 million subscribers. We're trying to figure out how we can increase our acquisition growth with customers, but we're heading into this when, and, and we're saying like, hey, expect less. So that was one. And on the other thing, the thing they said was because the United States dollar has continued to increase in value while other currencies around the world have decreased, this has actually caused a problem for Netflix because they they look at their content spend and their investment in U.S. dollars. They don't look at it in global currency. So if the majority of your revenue is coming from a global subscriber base outside of the United States, but the highest ARPU, which again is that average revenue per user, is coming from the United States and Canada, which is stagnant at best and, you know, kind of decreasing at worst, although they added a little bit in Q4, um, your biggest concern is that you may be adding customers internationally, but they're not making the same amount of money that you are, uh, that you need for to produce in US dollar. All of which is a complicated way of saying that Netflix is effectively told 
its investors, look, between increased competition with all these other streaming services, between the US dollar and between COVID effects that we're still seeing and the positive of those, which means like people are going back out again. Like we're seeing people reemerge and they're not just watching Netflix and, and that thing that happened in 2020. We are expecting a little bit of a slowdown. That led to an insane decrease in market capitalization for Netflix um, over the last few days. So it went down from about, I think it was 560 or 550, and now it's up to like 380 last time I checked, which was, lot, which was yesterday. Um, so it's huge. Netflix has seen a huge decrease over the last few days because of poor forecasts. Yeah, I um, there's a, a an interesting note from Ben Thompson at Stratechery, and it's a subscription only content thing. But I will I'm going to read from it because I thought that this was a really interesting take on sort of like what the current state of affairs is with Netflix, and it it, it goes like this: subscription based businesses that occupy time great way to think of it coexist to a much greater extent than ad-based businesses can because the latter this is about competition with uh, other services coming up to compete with netflix because the latter require attention to monetize the former only require a credit card if you're a netflix subscriber the company is making money even if you're watching the book of boba fett disney (laughs) is still making money when you switch over to watch squid game Facebook is not making money when you're using Snapchat and vice versa. And he says, this sounds pretty great. It raises the question, how can we get a gig as a subscription service? (laughs) And the answer is have great content that people are willing to pay for, but highly differentiated, highly produced content isn't infinite. Uh, It costs money. The cost is determined by supply and demand. If supply is limited and demand increases, the price will increase as well. And so for Netflix, uh, the biggest threat from competition isn't losing customers to rivals. It's in losing margin in pursuit of the content that helps it grow uh, at best and at worst helps it tread water. And I thought that was so interesting, right? Which is like the the the, the risk with Netflix is not that, uh, oh, no, people are going to be subscribing to Disney. The The risk is that all that the their content costs are going to keep going up. And that cuts into their bottom line. And if they're not growing their audience base, then, you know, then their business is less profitable. Right. And this is the the situation that has always been an issue with uh, Netflix bears. This question about you keep increasing your content spend. Remember, Netflix has seen about a 600 percent, a little bit more than 600 percent increase in content spend between 2013 when they spent $2.4 billion on content and 2021 when they were estimated to have spent about $17 billion. Um, that was a projection that Reed Hastings, co-CEO, made in Q1 of 2021. That was their projection. Uh, it's an increase of 600%. And throughout that time, Netflix has added a ton of subscribers. Absolutely. But they're hitting a point where they're stagnating. And what they're telling investors is we need to spend more and we need to spend more in key markets. And those key markets are India, those key markets are South Korea, those key markets are kind of those territories specifically. Um, Part of the issue that comes with that, however, is in order to penetrate those markets, they have to appeal to how um, cost value is seen by a lot of the citizens of those countries. So if you look at India, India has a huge uh, consumer base that is using mobile for everything, mobile for internet, mobile for streaming, mobile for communication, obviously, um, all of that. That means that their prices are relatively lower, which also means that the ARPU that they're generating from that country is going to be massively lower than the than the ARPU that they're making in the United States and Canada. So if you're Netflix's team, you know you have to be in India. That's a, you know, billion person plus country. That's a huge increase to your overall 
uh, value if you can really penetrate that market. And no one really has. You know, the closest we get is Amazon, but what we don't really know because Amazon uh, loops Prime and Prime Video subscribers right. into one bucket. So we don't know how many people are really watching in, in India. So if we look at Netflix specifically, your goal is then requires you, I should say, then requires you to increase prices where the ARPU really matters, where you're going to generate enough revenue to continue investing. And that's the United States and Canada. Now, at the same time, the reason this is an issue is because you're stagnating already, which means that with increased competition and with increased demand for uh, for shows on uh, and movies on other competitor platforms, you're at risk of churning more than ever. Um, Netflix has always had the lowest churn in the industry. If they increase prices, they may see a, a, a slight bump in their churn. But overall, their retention rates are really high because their strat- their pricing strategy teams are very good. They know when to say, okay, our next quarter and our most recent quarter, are we've got a ton of entertainment that people are really going to want. Now we should increase because we'll keep them for the next few months. And then hopefully we keep adding to that value prospect. It's hard now. It's hard when Netflix is saying, not only did we just give a price increase, yeah. our first quarter is not going to be super heavy with a lot of stuff that people are going to necessarily, you know, that are our high demand drivers. So not only do you now have an, a huge, an, a, you're, you have an increase in, in costs for your most um, revenue driving market, which is now more expensive than HBO Max, which has seen a massive growth in demand for its shows. So you're at that point and you still don't know if this is really going to help in India, which has been a frustrating performance for Netflix. It's why you see Netflix order 25 South Korean shows like they are invested there. They have to be there. All of this is an example of why I think the market slightly overreacts to Netflix. Here's the issue I've always had with 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 the market. And this is in part Netflix's fault. I'm not trying to say, you know, boohoo Netflix. Netflix positioned themselves because it made their their executives very wealthy as a tech company. Yep. It was always strange to me that Netflix was part of Fang. Like, if we just dissect that, Netflix and Apple should not yeah. be in the same Facebook, category. Amazon, Apple, Google. Why is Microsoft not listed there, by e- exactly. the way? Exactly. Why is it Netflix, and not Microsoft? Netflix doesn't Exa- make sense. They're it not does- the same. Exactly. So you have them trading at big. So what you have is a situation where everyone's going, right, well, Netflix is what we were just saying. Like Netflix, yeah, they make movies and TV shows, but they're they're a platform. It's their algorithm. It's everything that we're we're banking on for them is a tech platform, except that they don't have the same arms that all the other tech companies have. Their main thing is a media company. They should not have been trading higher than Disney. Like it never made sense. So when we see Netflix come down from 550, 560 to 380, it's a massive drop. I don't want to say like, oh, wow, like, you know, this is a, it's good news. But what we're seeing is them return to what they should have been trading at normally because they're a media company. Um, I think what is really interesting about Netflix as a business is that there's been a lot of, I will say, overreaction to people being like, this is it. Like, I've seen some people declare the streaming wars are over. That's counterintuitive to what the market is actually saying, which huh. is saying the streaming wars have just begun. Mm. Um, what well, what is interesting is that everyone is kind of like, is this it for Netflix? And like, no, Netflix, no one is questioning whether Netflix is going to be one of the winners. Like if you do it, it's like Netflix and then you list two others. Typically it tends to be HBO Max and Disney Plus. Um, and so with Netflix specifically, the question I'm most interested in is they're aware that they, if they want to really succeed and penetrate more markets, they got to be, they got to have more arms. They got to develop another tentacle, one or two more tentacles. And so what they're saying is give us a few years with games. Let us figure that out. Let us see what we can do with consumer experiences and merchandise. Like, Let us try this flywheel effect and see what we can do and hire the best people to do it. Um, And historically, based on precedent from Netflix, feels super wrong to cut them out and say like, "Ah, I don't know if that's going to work for you guys. 
So I think what we'll see is the market return somewhat normal over the next few quarters. Netflix will have content. It'll come back up. I think Netflix will continue to do well in South Korea. I think we may see them push into India with that increased investment. But I think the sentiment is Netflix over is true for its investors who got in it, who got in or before they went to $550 a share. Right. Uh, and are now like, well, now I'm not making Facebook money on Netflix. But here's the thing. You never should have been. Like, that's a <laughs> weird concept. Yeah. There's overvaluing. The market is not always rational. Like, it, it, <laughs> it, it is a case. Yeah. I think it's very clear. And we just said, look, entertainment companies and tech companies are not pure you have to like to be successful as a streamer you have to be a tech company and an entertainment company netflix is valued differently in part because they came at it from a different direction um but still it's not a it's not a pure tech company and so many of the economics of it are just straight up entertainment and and so you know consider it as such also there's just the thing that the market wants to see growth and netflix grew so fast and became so huge just think about it netflix as a brand is the dominant cultural brand in terms of streaming services in the world. And it's a company that nobody even knew existed 15 years ago, right? Like the growth has been spectacular, but it also did it so spectacularly that it's number one folks. And it it doesn't have a lot of places where it can do a lot of growth now. And so if you're viewing the growth, when I write about Apple, it's a very similar thing where people are like, oh no, Apple isn't growing as quickly as it used to. It's like, yeah, it's also the most valuable and uh, profitable company in the world. But like, if you're an investor focused on growth, you don't don't care about that so much. And that's the challenge for Netflix and their stock price, but they're still number one right? They're still number one. They just can't keep growing because um, there aren't new subscribers for them to reach on the moon. Um, so they can't grow at the rate that they, they have been. Exactly. And there, there's uh, in strategy courses, they teach, you know, the um, Bass diffusion model, which is a chart that I'm sure people who read Van Thompson, so Jason will be very well aware of. Um, it's a simple chart. It shows adoption and the number of adoption uh, people who are adopting a product. And then when it levels out, so you have this huge spike, yeah. which Netflix has seen over the yeah. last few years, but really picked up in 2020. And 2020 was the year, if we think about it in terms of, of a chart, it was the massive spike for them. And it was because anyone who didn't have Netflix all of a sudden had time and went, sure, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pick We're up Netflix. Yep. Like, uh, that now I'm going to do it. So if you hit the top of your market, like, let's say 75 million homes, which is how many homes that Netflix is in the United States and Canada, is your penetration uh, average right now? Because you still have 80 million homes on cable television who might go, I don't really need Netflix. Like I have cable and I get what I want from here. You have people, I think of my grandparents who like, you know, they count as broadcast and cable users. They're not signing up for Netflix. So you still have this group of people that will slowly eventually uh, move away from linear and come to streaming when linear and streaming become much more intertwined. And that will be thanks to the networks like NBC and CBS and Disney. Like once they are there, then we'll see a really interesting move happen and Netflix will see additional customer growth. But for now, it is behaving the way a company should behave when they've seen an insane amount of subscribers all at once. And so I think for, you know, the the thing we don't talk about, you're 100% right, Jason, it's this like obsession with growth that we see in, I I like, I'm just going to keep saying this in the big tech market (laughs) Netflix is not part of, um, but where everyone is kind of judging Netflix by Google, Facebook, Amazon growth style, like it's it's such a different type of uh, of subscription that you're selling uh, or product that you're selling. And what I will say is that what we're ignoring is that Netflix keeps adding. 
Like Netflix yeah. is still rarely lo- like they've lost a few in a few quarters. They've gone down a couple of customers. They've seen some churn. We might see it again next quarter um, in the United States and Canada with the price increase. But they're still adding year after year. They are finding customers who are either coming back to the streaming service or that they are bringing on for the first time. And so my thing is like, you know, should we worry about Netflix? Like, I suppose if you're invested, probably like if you're invested in Netflix, I can see why you'd be concerned. You know, should we be worried about Netflix as like, oh, they are no longer part of the streaming wars? No, this is the company that convinced everyone, hey, this direct to consumer market that's happening because of the app store and because of the Internet and because of better speeds and all these things happening. It's not going to go away. Well, they they had the first mover advantage. They were on top of this in a way that nobody else was. And then Amazon was kind of moving behind them again as a company that was more tech and, and less entertainment. But what I view this, again, not being involved in investing in any of this stuff and any of that, what I what I view this as being is this is the moment where we all just kind of have to say the first mover advantage era is over and Netflix is now just in competition. And when you see their their price increase where they're now more exp- they're the most expensive streaming service essentially with their new price increase and you see people saying wow do i really want to keep netflix i think the truth is that most of them will keep netflix because netflix is so essential i was thinking about it and i thought my daughter would disown me if she couldn't have (laughs) netflix anymore right like i haven't been watching as much stuff on netflix uh but but she would she lives and dies by netflix right so i think but but yet now it's a conversation because you've seen the rise of the rest you've seen the rise of disney plus and especially as we've talked about here and that you wrote about on puck uh this past week hbo max uh, really having a lot of stuff in demand and and we talked about how they've expanded sort of like the the reach of of the hbo viewer to be more demographically broad as an hbo max viewer like all of this is sort of part of the same story, which is we are entering a new era where Netflix is not as dominant, but it's still number one. Like, calm yeah. down, everybody. It's just that it's got much more serious competition. And as Ben Thompson pointed out in that thing that I quoted, it's not just competition to be one of the three or four services people pay for. It's also competition with those people to get new content that will make right like and and the more money they have to spend on that content and and i think one thing that we often um don't bring up as much and i think we should you know like there's certain conversations around netflix because we we tend to focus very heavily on you can as a region which makes sense a lot of the um uh, publications that cover this really fundamentally and, and daily are US based, so they focus heavily on that. Sure. Um but Netflix focuses mainly on global, right? Like their whole thing is like we want to be global. So one, my recommendation to people listening who really want to learn Netflix, pay attention to what they do internationally with price increases or price decreases. Like that's where they're focusing heavily on because you can is kind of a moment where they are, have the customers, they want to bring them back, but they're they're tapped out a little bit as linear goes away a little bit more Netflix will pick up some like that will just naturally happen. But two, one thing we when we don't bring up when we talk about their content um, spend compared to other companies is they are they are trying very fast within a decade to do what all these other companies have had 60, 70 years to do. Like they are trying to say like, oh, yes, we don't have the library the size of NBC Universal. Has they have they been around since the dawn of film? Like, no, like it's 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 not a thing where they're like, oh, yeah, we have these shows from the 60s, 70s. We own these IP still that we can just remake or we can and then we'll add them to the library. 
When you look at Disney, not only does Disney have its franchise pillars, which makes it so easy for them. And this, again, is a a bit of a problem for Disney, but it's still a a growth point where they can go, yeah, we'll make 10 Star Wars shows and 10 Marvel shows. And like, we're pretty good. Netflix doesn't have any of that. And so they're saying we have to get into film. We have to get into reality TV. We have to get into scripted TV. We have to get into all these things. And you could argue that strategically, maybe that's a fault. But if they want to be a general entertainment service, like they have to be there. They can't just say, well, we're only going to produce um, hour long dramas like and that's fine because you're going to your audience is going to go away. So what they're effectively trying to do is create a, a cable bundle within 10 years and without very and, and knowing that all their top programs that are licensed are going to go away eventually. The number one most streamed show in the United States um, last year, according to Nielsen, was Criminal Minds. Criminal Minds is a CBS show that yeah. is people watch on Netflix. If you were CBS, you would be like, hmm, I wonder if along with my new shows, I should have Criminal Minds exclusively. And we kind of know that they're thinking that because they're making a new Criminal Minds for Paramount Plus specific. Uh, huh? we, right? Like we know all these things are coming <laughs> down the line. And so if you're Netflix, you're going, uh, crap, how do I make a 15 season show? Like, you know, yeah. what I mean? it's, it's a hard thing for them to do. And so when we look at their content spend, just keep in mind, not only are they trying to keep up with increased content spend from their competitors who have these libraries, they're trying to make as many originals and build up a library at the same time. And that's a expensive, (laughs) expensive task. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, uh, we mentioned, HBO Max, and I, I wanted to mm. at least briefly touch on that because you did write this post that I thought was uh, a lot of fun about the new number two, and uh, and we talked about the four quadrants and about them expanding. I just I, one of the notes that you had was it's almost like a victory lap moment where it's like you did it, like because because remember, okay, first off when they launched this stuff and and dating back to when I used to do uh, it's back by the way the TV Talk Machine podcast with. Tim Goodman he <gasps> launched he launched a Substack but Tim and I used to talk about this a lot because um it it is it was kind of a joke like the early days of the HBO streaming strategy it was kind of like what are you doing yeah <laughs> what what are you and, and they had to and they had HBO now and which was groundbreaking in the sense that they made it available over the top but um but like then they had to turn it into HBO Max and people made fun of the name and then they they came in with their with their film strategy and they made all the people in all the talent in Hollywood angry at them and there was this question of like have you Richard Plepler left and he was like you're ruining it you're ruining HBO and 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 you know all of this kind of negativity about HBO Max a lot of it justified and you look at it now and you think I don't know. They kind of did it, didn't they? And and it, we're about to reach the point now where Discovery takes it over, and all those people who made this happen may lose their jobs. So it's kind of like the victory lap moment of like, after all that drama, they kind of did the job, didn't they? The the biggest question that was I couldn't really get into in the piece, um, and but was brought up in a DM from um, someone in the industry uh, who remained anonymous was what do you do if you're Discovery and you're reading all these types of pieces and you're seeing the results at HBO Max and they're kind of, and they're continuing, like there's no slowdown and you've got, what do you do with Jason? Like Jason Kyler, who's the CEO of Warner, who who went off and was basically like, I'm going to do this. I think it's going to work. And like, let's just try it. Everyone was against him. Don't get me wrong. He paid 
uh, well, Warner Media, I should say, paid actors because of all the movie yeah. issues that happened when they went straight to streaming. Like, he, they definitely could have done things a bit differently and uh, a bit better. But he knocked it out of the park. They did it. And did what was intended to be, right? Exactly. And if you're Discovery, and like, not only are you staring down the barrel, this is a whole other podcast talk of a, <laughs> of a FTC situation where they're kind of increasing their attention on acquisitions and mergers to specifically target deals like that. If you're Discovery... All of a sudden, like if you, I mean, I imagine they thought Jason was very important before because he's shown time and time again that he's exceptional at what he does. But now you're kind of like, you know, there's a few key characters I would not want to lose if I'm them. I don't want to lose Jason. I don't want to lose Casey Bloys, who's the head of HBO Absolutely. Max and HBO and HBO. Um, don't want to lose Andy Forsell, who's kind of overseeing the tech side, who's like approached that very well, where he said, hey, listen, we're going to overhaul it. We had some issues. We're going to fix it. We're going to invest in it. There are like certain key players here. Who, if I was them, you know, I don't necessarily want to report someone at Discovery. I'm going to see what else I can do, you know, potentially look elsewhere. But if I'm Discovery, like those are key players that I would want to keep um, right. close to my chest. And I think, you know, the other question I always have with HBO Max, and I think I said this on Twitter, not so much in the piece, because um, you know, there's only so much room you can write in. Uh, but this all looks really good for HBO Max and Warner Media pre-Discovery deal. Like, we don't know what happens with Discovery. We don't know what happens with content. We don't know what happens with all their various yeah. streaming platforms. We don't know what goes on there. But, like, it's it's in this moment where I think about HBO being this little crown jewel inside all the different companies that have acquired it. And, like, it just kind of continues to exist very well because people leave it alone. Like, they're kind of like, HBO's the cool, weird kid who, like, is doing their own thing. You don't really know what they're doing, but they make really cool art. And so you're like, yeah, cool, I'm going to leave them alone and just see what they do because I like it. Um now going into a company where it's like we want to oversee HBO, we want to see what is happening, we want to expand it, and it's like, does it work with HBO Max too? How does that? So I think the, what I my next piece, if I was going to write one about HBO Max, would specifically be like, um, you know, the headline might be something like you know, close to fumble or whatever, because it's so easy at this juncture to just mess it all up. Like yeah. it's they haven't. HBO has definitely earned its place. HBO Max is still figuring out its audience, figuring out what it wants to do. And you're at a point where you now have a structure. You have a uh, you're you're on this train. You're it's going well. You have this energy behind you. You don't want a discovery deal or a slate of new content that could potentially ruin everything to happen. You know, on the positive side, it goes the other way. All of a sudden, you've got people who really love uh, Chip and Joanne Gaines and reality and and house making shows who who also want to watch Euphoria. Like you know. And you're not being run by AT&T, which was a mistake, right? Like the the, yeah. the advantage of this is they're going to be a company that is is a better aligned company in terms of being this kind of business than AT&T, which thought they wanted to be in this business. And they're like, eh, maybe not so much. But the perception thing, and I go back to saying before, the perception was that this was kind of a clown show and then it turned out to not be. But I feel like that also has happened in the perception of the Discovery purchase, that when the purchase happened, everybody was like, oh yeah, they're going to clean house. HBO, what a disaster, blah, blah, blah. And now the closer you look at it, now you're like, actually don't mess it up right like it's flipped all the way around where it's like well wait a second you're gonna clean house they made it work they're like on the path to being solid number two or number three in terms of streaming with netflix and disney like that was not a guarantee at all so like don't mess it up which is it's just funny how we've come to this because when it was announced it was like oh yeah they're gonna wipe the slate there and now it's like 
don't wipe the slate. What are you talking about? You, these people did a great job. So I don't know. I don't know what yeah. they're going to do. Hard, hard problem. I guess that's why they pay those guys the big bucks. You also have this moment with HBO Max specifically where I was talking to someone, they disagreed, um, you know, very politely. We we're having a conversation about it with HBO Max being number two and specifically called out Disney still as number two. And I said, subscriber wise, absolutely. In terms of franchise uh, movability, absolutely. Like Disney and, and I never like meant to declare that Disney Plus was not doing well. Um, the thing I thought was interesting about HBO Max um, I can sum up perfectly in a conversation I had with coworkers yesterday. We were looking at demand over the last month or, or so for HBO and HBO Max shows and what was really popping. And it was like it went from being like Peacemaker to Euphoria to last week to write, write Just Gemstones to and Just Like That and Sex Lives with College Girls. And I remember saying like they hit everything. They literally hit every yeah. quadrant. If you were going to have like your YX axis, it's like everyone is being hit. And it's quality programming. None of those shows are necessary are getting bad reviews. None of those shows are critically loved. They're also finding a mainstream audience. Um, and so it's this moment where all the concerns about, oh, well, HBO Max ruins the HBO brand went out the door. All the concerns about $15 yeah. being too much went out the door. All the concerns about movies, which, as I said on this podcast, and I'll say again, the majority of those would not have done very well in theatrical, especially in 2021 went out the door uh and now they're going to go back to a place where they're on in theaters for 45 days and then like that's like that was always the plan and so it's this great moment where like hbo max won the bet like they 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 bet on it and they yeah. saw it through i i know i mentioned the the golden globe for hacks but like i feel like it only takes a few shows like hacks or, or station 11 yeah Oh, for you yeah. to for you to basically say anyone who is arguing that HBO Max is somehow lesser than HBO proper is has nothing to stand on anymore. Exactly. Because they are putting high quality stuff that would not be at all a uh, a weird thing to see on HBO on Sunday night, frankly, on the, on the the marquee night of HBO. And the reason they're not putting it on there is not because it's lesser. It's because they want to coax all of those cable subscribers who are eligible for HBO Max because they get HBO to sign up for freaking HBO Max, which I think is such a smart thing, right? Like, Absolutely. Oh, everybody's talking about Station Eleven. It's like, well, you got to stream it. You can't watch it on HBO. That's just, you got to do it. So- well, and they and they hit that 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 they're, I've said this to so many different executives, where I've said, "Do you know how funny it is that young women somehow became the underserved audience in Hollywood?" And uh -huh. they asked me what I meant by that, and I said, "If you look at theatrical, what's dominating the theaters? It's, it's movies targeted mostly either at young men, eighteen thirty four, and those drive." um mm -hmm. like huge revenues that's your spider-man your matrix whatever it might be yep. uh and then you've got your kind of oscar movies and they those tend to target older women older men yep. um naturally this is not to say other people can't enjoy it it's just where we see the percentage come from when you look at streaming like so before streaming i should say before that you used to have teen shows on the cw we talked about this last week and that was like yep. young women and you used to have like the hunger games and twilight like you had movies for young women that's only went away. And it was great to see like HBO Max and Netflix and come through and say, there's an audience that's like very hungry for content that is well that will then make content based on our content and give us free earned media uh, if we do this thing, if we do it well. And I think what that says too about HBO, just really quickly to end it, um, what HBO Max also gets really well that the other ones don't is that HBO Max is now like the like a service you have to open three days a week. That's nearly yeah. fifty percent of right. your week. You're thinking about HBO Max because you got you get your Sunday HBO drops and your what Thursday Friday Friday yeah. HBO Thursday Max. is the show and then Fr Friday the movies. Yeah, so it's yeah. 
Uh, really quickly, before we move on to letters, I had one more mini topic, yes. which is uh, why does Showtime still exist? Matt Baloney <laughs> on Puck wrote about this. That was his headline. Joe Adelian over at Vulture wrote a piece that was primarily about Netflix's price increase, but also uh, mentioned Showtime again. And I know we've touched on it, but I wanted to at least touch on it again to say, Mm -hmm. you know, Showtime is having a moment in the sense that Yellow Jackets, everybody is talking about Yellow Jackets. And um, and they've had some other things that people have been talked about talking about. Dexter New Blood was a good example of that. But it's this example of showtime is paramount viacom cbs it's paramount plus except it's not paramount plus they've kept them separate and you know overseas everywhere outside the u.s it seems like they've decided it's all going to get folded into paramount plus but i think it's a really good question to ask which is if your if your big picture is to become a player in streaming and have those shows that people demand that people must see and your Viacom CBS and something like Yellow Jackets hits and it's on Showtime, which, yeah, you've got some cable people, but like you didn't roll it in like HBO Max to your streaming. It's a separate streaming subscription. Mm-hmm. You're losing. I mean, the tragedy of Yellowstone was one thing, right? Where it's it's on <laughs> Peacock. But here you it's on your thing, but it's the thing that you don't promote. You don't have the mountain of entertainment. You're not trying to pour all this content into it. It's this other one that's on the side that's a brand that is perceived as being, I mean, kind of old cable TV. And they haven't tried to rebrand it because they've been focused on Paramount+. Plus. It's just such a fascinating thing. And I'm sure that there are arguments about, well, we want to have a premium brand and we're going to sell it in a bundle because they are bundling it in the U.S. And maybe they think that it's like their equivalent of Hulu and Disney+. Plus. But it does make you think like, oh, Yellow Jackets could have been the one that drove people to Paramount Plus, and instead it's on Showtime. And are, is anyone going to see it? Yeah, I I mostly agree with what Matt wrote. I was just rereading it this morning, actually, and and I I completely agree. Where I don't understand why you have the separate streaming service. Like you have the the cable pa- the, sure. the cable option. Keep it obviously, and and I agree with Matt again. Where there's probably some form of ans- of revenue coming in from Showtime, and Bob Ackis doesn't want to give up that revenue, especially when he has to. He's the CEO of, of uh, Viacom, Viacom CBS. CBS, right? Especially if he doesn't want, you know, he's going to go into a uh, investor day, I believe, next month or yeah, next month, and he's got earnings coming up, and he's got to tell his shareholders and his board that they're going to spend more money. Uh, and it's worth it because they've got this thing going on. Right. But big picture, you're like, right. You're not going to establish two giant streaming services, no. right? No. So, th- and so this is, this is the conversation that I have a lot with people, which is you can either go, and we talked about on the podcast, you and I, Jason, but you can either go, um, uh, uh, short-term revenue, long-term loss. You can go short-term hit, long-term revenue. And ideally, like that's an ideal situation where you go, we're going to keep the cable package uh, or cable option because we have 80 million paying TV customers. Like that's a huge thing. We want them there. Um, but also Showtime, we realize we're not HBO, we're not FX. And also HBO and FX have become part of streaming services where it's like Disney and Warner have both gone, we have a great thing here. Why don't we just incorporate it and give people it for fifteen dollars? Because you're not, you're never. The people who are going to go for your streaming packages are never going to sign up for cable again. Like that's a rare. They're not going to do that. So what you're saying is we have all this great content, but we want to, you know, make sure that it's only available on this one streaming service that people don't necessarily want because Showtime isn't HBO. As no offense to um, Dave Nevins and the team over there. And so you've got a lot of people who are going like, cool. I kind of want to watch that. 
I can maybe get it on Plex for free via someone, obviously not condoning piracy, but, you know, just just looking at, at that yeah, situation. It's resistance to being like, I, I don't want to I don't want to sign up for it. So I'm just that, I'm going to find another. That's that's where a lot of piracy comes from. I mean, honestly, that, we should talk about piracy sometime. But like it's, it comes from that resistance of like you've lost the sale. Piracy is often, often not a replacement. It's not like you lost money out of it it's that you right. lost the sale and they turned to piracy to see it anyway because you failed to be compelling enough for people to pay for it but here's my biggest argument for why showtime should be bundled into paramount plus one did you know you can get there's i have two actually did you know you can get showtime and paramount plus for just a dollar if you, there's a combined option already you get them for a dollar apart why are you doing that like what just just put it on if you're yeah. just going to sell it for like the, effectively giving paramount plus away for free or for a dollar just bundle it um and two anecdotally i spend a lot of time talking about movies and television the business and so that's what a lot of my content um consumption is which is my point i'm getting to is on tiktok it's a lot of what i'm seeing a lot of young people on tiktok talking about film tv streaming all of that i get it all day all the time anecdotally it is so interesting to me to see how many people joined hbo max for like Gossip Girl or Station Eleven, whatever, and are now 18, 19, 20 and are discovering The Sopranos and are discovering Six Feet Under right. and are like going back to, fight, to watch Deadwood. And they're kind of like, this is great. I was never going to pay for HBO. So here I am for this. And it's like, it's like, Bob, like my, my, my dude, this is your showtime moment. This is where you're yeah. going to go, hey, we have the L word, which would appeal to a young generation. We have um dexter we have billions which is going to appeal to your succession fans we have uh, all these things oh man don't get me started about like billions i don't love billions but billions is another is kind of another succession and yet you know it's not it's on showtime so nobody sees it and that's the thing is like it's and so if we go back to the original my original ranting point <laughs> it's it's like if you're you this what you are selling as a streaming service is a discovery platform. You are selling discovery. You are you are selling people discovery to their new favorite show. If they do not have access to it, and that includes uh, a price barrier, that includes not being able to actually browse your system, whatever it might be, they are not going to watch it, even if they are hearing good things about it. If you put it onto your platform, and you're you're going to see an increase in Paramount Plus uh, subscribers, uh, regardless. And also, I think if you see that increase, you then get to go, we're going to increase our price a dollar like, and then we're going to yeah. increase our pool. Like we're going to go about this this way. I don't know why you have all these different streaming services. You've got, you know, your free site on Pluto. You've got Paramount Plus as your general. You've got Showtime as your premium. And it's like, you don't need Showtime. Sh- bring Showtime in. Yeah, bring it in. Exactly right. Well, we'll see. They should listen to us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they want to come on the podcast and tell us their thoughts. Bob, talk to us. Um, <laughs> let's do a couple of letters before we go. We do like receiving your letters. Uh, this one is from Claude Z, who says, a common thing I've heard you both mention is the idea that streamers want repeat viewing because it keeps their service sticky. While I personally don't miss DVDs at all, I do miss the DVD extras that often mm-hmm. came with my favorite shows and movies. This includes things like behind-the-scenes docs, deleted scenes, and director-creator commentary. I know HBO and Apple have toyed with podcasts as a way to keep viewers engaged, but why don't streamers include more bonus features, especially commentary tracks? I can't imagine they're expensive to produce, and I have no doubt cre- some creators, at least, would love it. Edgar Wright's commentary tracks are so much fun, and they make rewatching his films a joy. Love to hear mothers claude c um i was noticing like there there are experiments with this um yeah hbo so i've been finishing up station 11 and i've been impressed with the fact that hbo has decided for all of their stuff to tack their extras 
on. So you get the slide at the beginning that says, stay tuned for bonus material. I think they started this with maybe Game of Thrones, but they they are pretty rigorous about it. Uh, You've seen it in in comedies and in dramas where it's like, stay tuned afterward. And they put their little featurette, which is often an episode-specific uh, thing with the behind the scenes from the writer and the director and they they tack it right on at the end after the credits and i think it's super smart cbs uh well it's now paramount plus like they are in on the after show thing with star trek where they've got will wheaton doing an after show uh as a separate uh a separate thing that's available after the show drops that you can watch that talks about it for a half an hour or an hour um so there's experiments here but I agree with Claude Z. I mean, I don't know what you think, but I agree with Claude Z. Like, repeatability and depth and letting people dive into a thing they love. Like, digital is the best place. Streaming is the best place to do that because you can can tack these things on or 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 even like promote them. Put movie with a commentary track. Do it pop up video style or something, and and put like a new version of the movie on your service that says this is the live commentary version and make it seem like new and exciting. Like there's so much potential here. I just feel like they're they're they've been so busy launching their services that they're, they've been slow to get to this point. But it feels like a no brainer to me. The other thing, too, that comes up with this, I don't know if, uh, if anyone here, if anyone listening has noticed this, um, all these companies also really want to get into another cool market potential, um, something called podcasting. And so they take yeah, a lot yeah. of these interviews and they throw them into podcasts and they say, hey, you want to find out more mm-hmm. from the end, just like that writer's room or the like, the law and orders. They all have And them. HBO has done the smart thing. That uh, Apple hasn't done because Apple wants to promote its podcast app. HBO, you can wa- you can listen to those podcasts in HBO Max. You don't even need to switch to a a podcast app. You can actually play them in the app, which I also think is kind of brilliant. Like I, I wouldn't listen to a podcast that way, but you should find people where they are. And so they're like, we're going to do a podcast and we're going to put it in HBO Max, even though it's a podcast. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and so they th- that's their whole thing is like, why make this a part of our uh, here, here's how I think if I was if I was them, right? If you add them on to your platform, uh, most people coming to watch that show might watch and that's like a fun thing for them. That's like a really nice thing to do for your subscribers. It doesn't really add any revenue. Like it doesn't really do anything for you in terms of business. Um, you can go the Disney route, which is they take all the behind the scenes footage and then they release it as an extra episode. So they'll have like the Avengers assembled or Marvel assembled. And it's basically just a DVD right. feature that they throw yeah. onto the platform. Um, that gets you another week and like that's fun. Yeah, Disney's done a good job of making it it's like it, they make their own show. It's like another show about behind the scenes, which is also brilliant, right? Yeah, like that's that's their way of going about it. And that's because their focus is on Disney Plus, like, again, and consumption, which makes a lot of sense. If you're Warner, if you're Netflix, Netflix does this too. Um, you are instead going to go, we can put this on, uh, you know, Spotify, we can put this on Apple, and we can maybe generate some ad revenue via it. We can increase con- um, um, demand for our shows there. And so they're, they, they're, they are still doing it. They're just finding different avenues to reach people and then bring them in. So I think that's what you're seeing happen. I If I were at one of these companies, this would be one of the things that I would be really interested in focusing on is, are there ways to create ancillary versions of these things that are going to make the fans come back? And are how do we do that? And so, like, I, I mentioned the pop-up video or whatever, the picture-in-picture commentary, but it's like, that would be a great experiment. Find a director who really, or a screenwriter or whoever, who is really into it. And, like, imagine if a month, imagine when Dune comes 
is it back? It's not back yet. But when Dune comes back on HBO Max after its 30 day run that it had, if you can not just watch Dune, but you can watch the Dennis Villeneuve Dune commentary where he is in a little window talking about the movie. Um, I agree with Claude. Probably not that expensive to produce this because you're you're talking about uh, the equivalent of a DVD commentary track, but it allows you to promote it in a totally different way. In addition to the movie being back on, it helps you remind people that the movie is back on your service too. I don't know. I think there's a lot of potential here. It's not. It's it's like Claude says. I think it's all about increasing the stickiness of your service too it's like why watch another movie when you can watch that movie again with this and it's not for everybody but for fans it's going to keep them attached and i think that's what you want yeah exactly thank you claude uh one more letter it is from uh john who says as a longtime cable subscriber and tivo user i was finally ready to cut the cord this past spring when we saw that discovery plus existed and carried two of our favorite cooking adjacent shows we were saddened as was my wallet when we realized that beat bobby flay on discovery plus seems to be about eight months behind what was available on the food network on xfinity cable i emailed discovery plus support they politely said we don't know as to when if they would ever be in sync any ideas on how to keep up on these different shows with the different contracts i imagine it's a contractual issue at least it's easy to cancel discovery plus but i'd be happy to drop cable once beat bobby flay showed up on streaming that's from john well this is the old we have contracts to supply things to linear uh, cable tv and we can't get out of them isn't it (laughs) It, exactly also i I feel like i need to start watching beat bobby flay because my partner's mother brings it up all the time and it sounds very interesting so thank you for reminding me thank you john um but also yeah like so this is the um what jason and i talked about a few podcasts ago um with the cnn plus situation where like they can't just take all their content and go like okay it's on streaming now because they have would have very angry um, carriers and advertisers who are yeah. like, well, I'm paying for this to be like here. They also have windowing on their own platforms. They have windowing for reruns. Like there's certain, to your exact point, they have so many different contracts that they're like, if we do this, are we opt- Are we opening ourselves up to litigation? Are we opening right. ourselves Xfinity to like- Xfinity is paying Discovery right. for every Xfinity, every Xfinity subscriber, whether they watch Discovery Channel or not, is getting a certain amount of money for that subscriber goes in the pocket of discovery. And part of the deal is they have this content and their, their feeling is like, if we, if you put that on your streaming service, you're ripping us off and discovery doesn't want to rip the, rip the bandaid off there because they get a lot of money from the cable company. So yeah, exactly like CNN. Why is CNN not streaming? And the answer is CNN makes a lot of money from cable. So they are going to make CNN plus instead, right? Right. So so it's the same story here. And the answer is, if you really want to cut cut the cord, um, the way to do it is find an over the uh, or, a, you know, a, a virtual cable company like Fubo or Google or I mean YouTube TV or Hulu plus live TV because they will have these channels. But then you're not saving money, probably or not much. I did this and I saved 10 or 15 dollars a month. But it's it's you still are paying somebody 50 or 60 dollars a month for live TV and and all of that's and on demand which is where you would get all of those beat bobby flay past episodes so it's gonna it's gonna take a long time to shake out because nobody nobody wants to be weaned off of that sweet sweet cable money if they can help it 
And this is what makes Netflix really great. Like, this has been a big thing for Netflix. Uh, one of the – who was – oh, Kenya Barris, who created Blackish, and he had an overall deal with Netflix for a while and then kind of walked away from it. Um, he called them CBS, and everyone took that as an insult, but, I mean, it is what Netflix is. It's, you know – to quote our last conversation, it is uh, CBS with a little bit of Showtime. They have created the Paramount Plus package that Paramount wants. Um, but th- they've always had like behind seasons, but no one's ever questioned it because they're like, oh, like it's Netflix. I'm getting everything that I want. And so we forget that right. when the cable and broadcast guys go and they're like, we have streaming too. We're so used to being like, well, you also have this live. Why can I get it? That's what makes Hulu's next day and Peacock's next day thing so great, where it's like, hey, you want to watch Law & Order, a criminal organization? It's on Hulu next day. And you're like, oh, great. Like SNL is like available 12 hours after it airs. Um, and it's funny when we don't get that on other streaming services. And then to your exact point, it's like, ah, yes, pesky contracting and pesky windowing. Until those are figured out, which will not happen anytime soon, it's a lot yeah. of justwatch.com and figuring those things out. Same same things as uh, our previous conversation about regional sports networks. It's one of these things where we everybody knows that in the long run, the money from cable won't be there. But it's there now. And so you have this very difficult decision to make, which is, do I plan for the future but as an executive, if I cut off this revenue stream, I'm going to be held to the fire and maybe fired, even if the right decision is to go forward and do something forward planning, because it'll put us in a better place in 10 years. I won't be here in 10 years if I make this decision today because they'll fire me. And so they kick the can down the road a little bit more. And at some point, it will the, the there will be a crossover period where it will make more sense to dump that revenue uh, it probably will be much later than it should have been, but it will happen at some point because everybody knows it's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. So we wait. And and if you want to see Bobby Flay, keep your cable co- company uh, subscription active, I guess. <laughs> All right. If you have a question for us, you can email us downstream at relay.fm or tweet at us at downstream pod. Love to your mothers. We love getting your letters. And yes, I am doing TV talk machine with Tim Goodman. Occasionally he's got a sub stack. You can go to the incomparable.com slash TVTM or just TV talk machine.com. If you want to see about that, you can find Julia at loudmouth Julia on Twitter. And of course, parrotanalytics.com and puck.news occasionally, which is a subscription service, but I subscribed because I wanted to see what Julia was writing. And there's some great Aww. stuff there. If you're interested in the entertainment industry, uh, Matt Baloney's column, like there's a lot of good stuff there. You should check it out. You can find me at jsnell on Twitter and sixcolors.com, of course. And uh, find every episode of this show at relay.fm slash downstream or in your podcast app of choice. But that's it for this fortnight julia a pleasure as always i'll see you in a couple of weeks see ya